You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Eric Barton. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Hey, to to start off uh, this morning, I think it's fair to ask the question, uh, why are we here right now? So we've been going through Romans chapters 1 through 4, and we've been talking about justification, different elements of that the, the entire time, and I think we got it. I mean, we understand the concept. In fact, and then we moved to Romans 5, so it's a little bit different, but I'm going to guess here at this uh, Bible church that most everyone here at some point in their time has read Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. You probably know most of the information in there. Maybe today you'll get a little snippet of something new or something that was in the Greek or something. I haven't thought about it that way, but pretty much you know this information. And being smart people here in this room, uh, it does make me wonder, why are you here? Because you you know this, right? Like you've got this, and I assume you have other things to do than be here on Sunday morning. So like my plumber, when he fixes uh, my toilet, He doesn't watch a YouTube video one more time to see how to fix the toilet. He knows it. He's got it. He knows that information, right? And so he just goes and does it. But it it makes me think, we still come here to church. You you know this information, so why are you here? What's the point? And I I hope you ask yourself that question because it's a thinking kind of question, right? Why, Why would you bother showing up each Sunday? Let's answer it. So, The purpose of this is not just to impart information, although there's a piece of that, right? In the first year, I had this idea with Heather uh, that we were married, and I said, hey, uh, babe, you know how I I told you that I love you? If that changes, I'll let you know. Um, So we don't have to keep doing this back and forth thing, like I love you, I love you too. Yeah, we got it, right? (laughs) And Clearly, the first year of my marriage was difficult, and <laughs> that was a piece of it. But it's the same way, right? It's, sometimes there's more than just imparting information. And when we come here to church, well, it's the same thing. We're going to do more today than just impart information. That there's something about the church that God has ordained, that it is a dispenser of grace, that by hearing and studying God's word in community, something happens beyond information exchange. That we get transformed. That God changes us and moves us and, and our hearts and our minds change. And, and we might be reminded of the same knowledge that we've already had, but it's God's spirit that works inside us. Oh, that's just awesome. And this text today, it, it's even more so that way because, uh, and we'll get to this, but in the first part of Romans, we're talking about the theological argument of justification and Paul here in chapter five starts to pivot and talks more about the relational element of justification. And although you've heard this before and it might feel like we're just kind of going around and around and around in a circle, I'd tell you that we are. But it's, it's like a screw that goes around and around and around, and before you know it, you're a whole lot deeper than you were at the beginning. And you might not feel it or see it when you're right there in the midst of it, but it's true. And we can look back as believers 
and see where God has taken us. And that's what, well, that's my prayer for this morning. That you might hear something that you already know, but God uses it in a way that, well, that changes us. So, on that, let's open your Bible to Romans chapter 5. And we're going to go through verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read them all, and then we'll, we'll walk through the scripture here together. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who's been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might dare to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. So let's, uh, let's walk through this. Chapter, or, uh, verse one, we start with therefore. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the first word, therefore, right? So there's a therefore means we've been talking about something before this. Uh, what Paul is going to say is, therefore, since we've been justified by faith. This is the theological argument of being justified by faith. That it's a, it is a condition that has happened, that we are made righteous, and we are made right to God because of Christ. And it says that we have peace with God. So we look at the word peace and to see what does that mean. Uh, this, is an, <clears throat> this is an objective peace. So this is not the subjective kind of peace where I feel peaceful, right? But this is a condition. Uh, it's a, a place where we, are, we were at war against God and now we have peace with God. It's almost after a, maybe a fight or an argument and you go, hey, are, are we good? Do, do we have peace? It's that type of peace. Um, you know, Roman one, Romans 1 tells us that God has had wrath against us, that we were at war. And that this is a, this is a war and a wrath and a vengeance that God had that was righteous. It's not, it's not the type of wrath that we might have or an anger that we might have because we want to get back at somebody. But this is a this is a type of war that God had, had or a type of wrath that God had against us that was a, a legally righteous wrath because of our sin. And we have, we have this peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a key part of justification, that this peace we have is not something that we have gained on our own but it's something that is through Jesus. 
It's something that he has given us. And because it's something that he's given us, it's something that only he could take away, but it's something that we could not get on our own. We could not have peace with God by anything that we could do. It's when uh, Heather and I uh, had just Noah. She was pregnant with Sam. Uh, he was about 15 months old, and we started the, the potty training process. And we went uh, to this like Babies R Us type place. It was a big box store uh, for baby stuff. And they had a, a slide in there, um, like a big plastic slide and a uh, jungle gymish kind of thing indoors. It was wintertime, and so we went there. And we were sitting on a bench drinking our coffee just, you know, in that mind-numbing stage of parenthood, right? Of just getting a breather. And uh, we're there drinking and... Um, Anyway, Noah had a disaster. He was in the potty training kind of world, and, and we didn't notice it was a mom that came over to us, and she's like, um, excuse me? Like, yeah, well, is, that your, is that your child up there? Like, what? And at that point in time, Noah was coming down the slide <laughs> with a brown streak following him all the way down. And I'm just going, oh, gosh. And, uh, and Heather turns, she goes, why don't you get the car and I'll get the kid, which was not an equal division of parenthood. She totally took the better deal. And so I took off and I got the car and she took Noah and Noah came down and he, he, go, he, was, he knew that this was wrong and he's trying to clean himself up. And it was this... Uh, I don't want to be, I'm graphic here. The texture was, was a, a muddish kind of texture. It was, it, he was just, it was just smearing all over himself. So I got the car, Heather burns the clothes in the bathroom. She, I don't know how she in the sink and wipes them. I don't know what she does. Um, I'm not kidding. This place went out of business one week later and I know <laughs> that we were the cause of it. I still hold that weight that we have ruined them. But when you watch Noah trying to clean himself up, that's what we do with our sin. It can't happen. The more we try, the worse it gets. It just smears all over ourselves. We, we can't be okay. And that's the peace with God. That God goes, I, I, there's this barrier here and you can't clean it up yourself. We needed a Savior. We needed somebody to come and clean the filth off ourselves. And that's, well, that's what Jesus did. He cleans off our filth. There's nothing we can do. There's no good deed that we could do. There's no passing of time that when we say, I've done this, but, but maybe after a while, I'll, I'll forget about it. There's, there's nothing there. That's why, that's why Jesus came. And so we continue in, in verse two. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace that which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Did you see this? Through, through him we have obtained access to God. So it's not, just, it's not just peace. We're not just in right standing, but we have an access. And this word access, uh, it's the same word that you would use to be able to be connected to a, an important person a dignitary, uh, access that you couldn't get otherwise. 
and uh, this will be quick. I, I was with Chris Miller and uh, Eric Barton at BJ's restaurant and we were watching football and they were talking about recruiting and somehow I got this idea that and realized I still had uh, five years of eligibility for football. Um, and, and so my dreams weren't over and I did a quick little search and I, I couldn't play for division one, two or three, but the NAIA, you didn't have a time limit after you, you graduate. Um, and luckily Texas college is right down the street. So I called them up on the phone, the, the athletic department to let them know that I would be eligible to, to play. And they're giving me a hard, they, I know this surprises you, but they wouldn't take my phone call. Not kidding, a week later, Art Riley calls me and says, hey, you wanna have lunch with uh, the president of Texas College and the athletic director? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Turn out, I, I'm sitting at, at uh, lunch, sharing a meal, praying, laughing, telling jokes, having a good time with a guy that I could not have access to. I did not bring up my football dreams at that point in time. <laughs> but Art Riley was, was able to get me somewhere that I could not get on my own. And that's what Jesus has done for us with God. We could not on our own get to God, but Jesus gives us peace with him and access with him. And, and it's the access by faith into this grace in which we stand. This grace in which we stand is a, a relational peace. So that it, it's an irrational, a relational element that we have with God. So on justification takes away the negative aspect that, hey, we, our sin and, and the wrath of God is gone. Now it's not, just, it's not just the wrath of God that's dismissed, but now it's a relationship with God. It's positive. It's intimate. It's a friendship that we have with God. That God now is someone that we can take our, our fears to, our requests, our petitions, our hopes, our dreams, that there's a connection there. This, uh, this access is the same type of access that, that I would give my daughter to say, come sit on my lap. Yes, I might be on a, a, an important call or, or have a meeting, but no, 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 you're, you're invited to this conversation. You're a part of this. Not because of what, you, what you've done, or it's only because you're my daughter. And that's what God has given us. That's why we can rejoice in hope. But Paul, Paul continues here. Oh, actually, let me, let me just talk about that rejoicing. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That, that's important. Because this, uh, this hope that we talk about, this isn't a wishful thinking hope, like I hope I, I got the right numbers to the lottery ticket or I, I hope that my team wins the game. This is a, a certain filled hope a hope that we know the outcome and we know where it's going. It's the kind of hope that you might have if you recorded the football game and you know your team won and you're still watching the game and you might be down, but it doesn't bother you a bit because you know the ending already. It's that kind of hope that we get to have in what's to come. Okay, so then Paul does something that's super interesting in verse three. He says, not only that, not only do we have this hope, not only do we have peace, and not only do we have access to God, not only do we have hope that what's to come, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Okay, really? How, how does that make any sense? I, who, who wants to rejoice in your sufferings? And it's as if Paul takes this sort of ADD side note to talk about this. That he, he starts talking about, hey, we have access to Christ and peace and then we have this hope and, and, and we get to be happy even 
even in your sufferings, that, that he knows that there's people who are reading this who are, who are suffering, where it's hard. And we know that there are people right now in this room who are suffering, where life is hard. And to think that you're to rejoice in that, how does it make sense? Because there's suffering and there's sin and there's brokenness that, that at times if you're like me, you want to yell out and go, no. Do you, do you know how, how hard this is? Do you know how bad it hurts? Do you know the, the sin that I've done? Do you know the sin that's been done to me? Do you, life is hard. How am I supposed to rejoice in that? Yeah, for me, there's times in my life where, I, actually most of the time in my life, I'd say, eh, my life is pretty good. It's a 7.5, it's an 8. And you know what, when I go to heaven, it's gonna be a 10. Oh, I've missed it. I love the song we sang this morning, Pilot Me, where, where when the waters are still and things are calm, d- don't be deceived. I still need you, Jesus, to pilot me. And when the oceans and the waves are crashing in, well, you know what, you know, you know a little bit more, don't you? That you need Jesus to pilot you then, too. That there's, there's times, and maybe you're in it now, and maybe you've been it in it, and you remember it, and if not, there'll be times that come where you feel and you get and you know the depths of sin and the wretchedness of it, and, and you know and you, because you, you live that Satan, our enemy, is like a lion and wants to kill you and your spouse and your family and your kids and wants nothing but destruction for you, and that pain in the world you feel, and you hate it, and you get to hate sin, because it's not just a cute little thing, but it's horrible, and it destroys you. And it's at that point in time when you feel that pain, you go, I have hope. I have hope that one day, this is gonna be gone, and we're not gonna have to feel this way, and the brokenness will not be here, and that the king is on the throne, and there will not be sin. There will be peace to the fullest extent. And that's gonna be a a good day to hope for. So as Paul says, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. Well, that, that, that scripture is not just for you. It's not just the, the peace and the access you have God. It's not just, no, and, and if you're suffering, it's especially if you're suffering. You know, if you know that you are saved by grace and you only have peace and access through God, through grace, then suffering, Paul says it produces this chain reaction that we can rejoice through. So read on here, again in verse three, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. So let's walk through that uh, as we look at what those words mean. So we rejoice in our suffering because suffering produces endurance. I'm sorry, perseverance. Suffering produces uh, perseverance. This perseverance is a a single-mindedness. It's a focus. And and you know this. Uh, If you get a phone call about a loved one that has cancer, you're not concerned that your front bushes need more watering right? You've got this single-minded focusness and suffering. We know that. It produces this. 
of what's really important. And this perseverance, it produces character. Now, growing up when I hear the word character, you'd hear, oh, if that kid's bullying you, don't worry. It'll, it'll give you some character, almost a toughness. But, but this isn't that kind of toughness, almost like a calloused. This is a character that you get with the test of time, of having been there before. It's when, a, again, a sports team in the playoffs have been there three times versus a, a, a newcomer to the game. The newcomer's gonna have a little bit of jitters there. They're gonna be a little bit nervous, whereas if you've been there before, you, you get this. You're comfortable. The, this, per, this perseverance produces that type of character. And all of this leads to a hope, a stronger sense, the access and peace with God. The suffering, it, it drives us a place to a place where we find real hope. So, if today, if this morning, you're in a place in your life where you're suffering, this is for you. We're not rejoicing because we love to suffer. We don't hope for suffering for the sake of suffering, but that we get to, we get to go through our suffering to Christ, to access and peace to God. And, and so it's fair to do a case study for ourselves, to take time to say, hey, when I suffer, how do I respond? Do we respond, does it bring us to hope? Or do we turn inward into ourself? It's a bit of a, a litmus test, so to speak, to say, hey, is, is the spirit inside me, when I do good works, is that because I'm trying to do good? Or is it because the spirit of God the, inside me is transforming me? Because if you're not, if you're not transformed, when you have suffering, it, it might look like this. It might look like uh, the person who, who knows that they ought to do good. But they also know that inside their heart, they're sinful. And so if, if, you, can, if you can be a believer, if you have faith in Jesus, and you know that you're saved only through your faith, then when you suffer, you can say, I have hope of what's to come. But if, if you are not leaning and counting on the faith in Christ in your suffering, and you're relying on yourself, well, then what you have to do is you have to say, well, I've got this sin, but I, I need to minimize it, and I need to be kind of good enough for God. And, and again, I have this sin, so let's, let's reframe our sin and not make it quite as bad. Let's make our sin just manageable. I'm not as bad as the other person. I haven't done a real horrible sin, and I haven't done that in a long time, so I'm, I'm okay. But then when you get around your other friends, you realize that you have to be good, right? Especially other Christian friends. And so you position yourselves to be good and you, you talk about good things you do and so you listen to extra good Christian music and you sponsor a booth at City Fest and you do all these Christian things, right? So that you can say, hey, I'm, I'm a good Christian. But you know deep down inside you're still sinful and wretched. And so you've got to minimize that as much as you can and before you know it, you end up being two people. You're the, the person you really are, the sinfulness that you're trying to suppress uh, and then the person you're on the outside, which is a, a pretend-to-be-joyful face and happy and jolly. And it's disgusting. Uh, there's statistics that, that I heard this week that 60 to 70% of kids who, who say they're Christians in high school after they go to college lose their faith. i tell you, the reality is they never had the faith. They were taught by their parents to be moral. 
And, and finally they said, forget it, it's not worth it. That they've become somebody else. And they had to be two people. And, and eventually as adults, well, the brave ones there say, forget it, it's not worth it anymore. This is just who I am. That's what happens when, when we put our faith not in Jesus Christ who's done the work, but we put our faith in ourselves. And it's a dangerous place, especially in a, a Bible Belt culture. Because it's all over. Sorry, I'm new at this and I lost all my place of where I am. I don't know how this works. Verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So Paul continues with the objector. Hey, how, how do we know that this is true? He gives an internal and an external response. His internal response is, you have the Holy Spirit. That, that there is a deposit within us of what's to come. That a Christian has God's love poured in our hearts. And then there's the external, the historical fact of what happens that for a while we were still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one might dare to die. Maybe a Mother Teresa or somebody like that. Nah, I'll take a bullet for her. Then in verse 8, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul's saying, you don't have to wonder. God died for you. And then he moves on in verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we're reconciled shall we be saved by his life. So in Romans 8 we're going to talk a little bit more about whether you can lose your salvation or not lose your salvation. But think about the, the logic of this right here. We're enemies of God. God's wrath was on us. And in that condition, in that position, God said, I love you so much, I'm going to die for you while we are enemies. Now as believers, we are no longer enemies. So how much more is he gonna stay with us? He, he came to us, he was for us when we were enemies of him. We're no longer enemies. So he's like, yes, we're still here. That there's no sense of why, why would God leave us now? And keep in mind that there's nothing we can do to lose that because it's God who saved us. It's not us who saved us. And so what do we do? What's our response? It's in verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we now have received reconciliation. John Scott, who wrote one of the commentaries on Romans says the mark of a believer is joy. And so how do we get this joy? By meditating, living our life, knowing on, on the scripture, knowing that we're justified, that we have a relationship with God who's alive, who's for us, that we have access to and who we have peace with. As an application, as a, a, a what's next, how do we go about doing this? I'd give us two things. One, 
is to examine our lives of joy. Do we have joy? Do you find yourself, regardless of the circumstance, with a a peace? This would be the subjective peace, the peace in your heart to go, God's with me. Because we actually have the objective peace that we can have access to the Father. And regardless of what's happening, that you go, ah, this is good. I'm walking with God. In the same way, talked about me telling my wife, hey, I love you, even though she already knows that. Some of the sweetest times I have with my wife, we're not imparting information back and forth. We're not saying things. We're just simply being with each other. We're taking a walk. And by getting to be with her, it's rich, and it's deep, and it's good. Do you get to do that with your heavenly Father? Do you get to go on a walk with him? When you say, hey, I had a good time with the Lord, does it just mean that you learned a new nugget of information? And if so, that's good. But maybe it just meant you abided. You were with him. That you were in his presence. Recognizing that you have peace. That you have access. Oh, make use of that access. And then second, do you get to meditate on this justification, not just with your head, but with your heart? Right, the longest distance sometimes is those 12 inches. Knowing that we get to sense and feel this is who the Lord is and that he loves us. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for your word, for Romans 5. I pray for everyone here, including me, that we get it. Not just in our head, but our heart. That we would sense your presence, we would know that you love us. That we would know that we have peace with you, that we have access to you, and that we would have hope. I pray for everyone here that is suffering right now. That that suffering would lead us to more hope. And I pray for an examination of our hearts. That if anyone here does not know you, today they would. Through faith in your Son. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.